guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are continuing on the study of 2 Thessalonians. Look, don't blink because it will go fast. We only have one more chapter after today. And as usual, uh, we have the regular guys. We've got Rich, Kevin, and Drew. Drew, nice to have you here in the studio. Yes, yes. But then we've got our in-house expert again, Max Ray, all the way from Wausau, Wisconsin. What's Wausau known for, do you think? Uh, they're known for uh, insurance. Really? Yeah, Wausau Insurance. <laughs> True. Why not? You have it. <laughs> you have it. <laughs> yeah, but we also have lots of other things that are uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Max is also known for his expertise in uh, the rapture. So we're going to continue to get into this study uh, of uh, the Apostle Paul. All right, Kevin, here's, here's the deal. We've got two paintings. Kevin, what's two paintings? What's that called? Diptych. It's a diptych. So the first phrase is the coming Lord. The second phrase is the faithful Lord. And what I love about this is, is that, you know, the reality is, is he's coming regardless whether we're ready or not. And we don't know when he's coming. And so in 2 Thessalonians, remember, this is the second letter. I know that sounds obvious. Months later, he's writing back after he's heard a Timothy report. Uh, and now here he is. Kevin, you remember what town he's in writing this from? Corinth. 18 months he spent in Corinth. And he is writing, and now specifically, He's writing again about the rapture. But there's another topic here that we're going to talk about in 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to talk about the Antichrist today. The Antichrist is what we're going to talk about. The very beginning, we're talking about rapture, but then also the Antichrist. And then how do they all fit together in preparation for the Lord's return? So, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would prepare our hearts for today's message. That you would begin to already speak to us. Uh, in ways that you want us to see this text, in ways that you want us to hear this text, in ways that we are getting prepared for your return. Speak to us, Father, through Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, in verse 1 and really 6 and 7, sounds like an interesting way to, to break up uh, some of the text, but you got to understand something. At the very beginning, I'm going to say it again and again and again, when we teach on this, we are not setting any dates. We don't know dates. We don't have calendars. We just want you to get ready. Why? Because of Matthew 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. And I need to go there because what the Thessalonians were experiencing was a false teaching. And the false teaching that they were experiencing was that they were in the day of the Lord and that Christ was already back. So they're hearing this teaching. Therefore, they're quitting their jobs. They're freaking out. I mean, this is what's happening. So we have to have everything into context. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, Now concerning that day and hour, nobody knows. Neither the angels in heaven, look at this, nor the Son, except the Father only. And then in verse 42, Kevin, it says this, Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. I just want to release that because what the Thessalonians were experiencing at that time is even though they're obedient in walking out their holiness with the Lord, these little guys are coming in. Like they're coming in having this false teaching that says, hey, by the way, you've missed it. The day of the Lord is here. here here's the process, okay? In verse 1, it says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That's what we're talking about, okay? Our being gathered to him is talking about when are we going to meet him up in the air. We ask you, brothers, now, Kevin, if you go to verse 6 and 7, okay? I know we're jumping around here for a second. And you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining 
will do so until he is out of the way. This whole question about who is actually restraining, okay, we're going to get into the Antichrist. Who is restraining the Antichrist from coming? Because as soon as the Antichrist comes, guess what that means? That means that possibly, depending how you view it, Christ is coming or he has already come. And maybe the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit serves as a restrainer. There's a couple different ways of looking at this. The first text is like a general neutral uh, language, and then it becomes a male language. So I would just say, is this, who is, all I want to just say is, is at some point we will meet him. Go back to verse one, Kevin. We will all be gathered together. What are the things in the place? What are the things in the way from letting these things happen? Okay, now if you want to go back to verse two, okay. So when will we be gathered? Not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. So here you have these false teachers. I don't want you to be troubled, you guys. I don't want you to have like get caught up in maybe a letter, maybe a message, maybe like a billboard. I'm kind of serious saying, hey, by the way, the day of the Lord has come. We'll know. Kevin, I love that when people claim to be Christ and you're like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure we'd know. Right. That's that antichrist spirit, which we'll get into. But this is what the Thessalonians are dealing with. There is a false letter that's being spread that says, hey, by the way, you guys missed it. That's what's taking place. And so Paul is speaking into them. So he says in verse three, don't let anybody deceive you in any way. For that day will not come. Remember, we referenced this a couple days ago. That day, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So a mid-trib or post-trib view of the rapture would say the day of the Lord doesn't take place, Kevin, until what has to happen? Uh, The Antichrist is revealed. Until the Antichrist is revealed. This sure seems like a really good supporting verse to say you're going to have to at least be here for three and a half years out of the seven years. Am I comfortable with mid-trib or (laughs) post-trib? Now you got me saying it, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know, and I'm not predicting. It just says in verse 3, though, at some point, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, or the son of destruction, both of those, you guys, the terminology is they're the Antichrist. Same person. Man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, in verse 4, it says this. Okay, the Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. All right. Now that you've read the Antichrist, at some point is going to sit in the actual temple. I want to back up. Okay, I want to walk through this progression. We did this, Kevin, thanks for your help. We talked about this in Matthew 24. Do you remember this, Kevin, when we talked about the progression of the Antichrist? Okay, at some point, let me just put this, okay? The rapture, okay, can happen at any time. Okay, so I'm just going to put that at the very beginning. Now, in the process, if you'll go to Daniel 9, 26 and 27. Okay, these are the prophetic events. Warren Wearsby spells all of this out. I love this image that Wearsby does. Okay, here you're going to have the leader. Let me just explain this, explain this before I even read this. The leader, okay, of the 10 European nations is going to make a seven-year agreement with Israel. So Daniel 9, 26 and 27 says, after those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming prince 
will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with the flood, and, and until the end there will be war. Now, verse 27, uh, desolations are decreed. Then go into verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. Now, in this context, one week, Kevin, do you know how many years that equals? Seven. Seven years. So, the Antichrist is going to come in, make a firm covenant with many, ten nations, for one year, for one week, excuse me, seven years. But in the middle of the week, so in the middle of seven years, Kevin would be three and a half years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. So, in the temple. Okay, so you know what that means, right? The temple must actually be set up. So, so far we've had two temples in our lifetime, Right? There's going to be a third temple. How do we know? Because of Daniel 9, 26 and 27. Think about it this way. Right now, currently in Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem is, in the United States opinion, and in my opinion, based on the scripture, Jerusalem is the eternal capital for Israel. But at the same time, the Temple Mount, okay, is actually, quote unquote, owned by the Arabs, the Palestinians, however you want to phrase this. The Dome of the Rock actually sits on top of the Temple Mount. Crazy enough, the United Nations actually took a vote. Remember this a year and a half plus ago? They took a vote that said that the Jews never had possession of the Temple Mount. Basically, they voted that said the Bible never existed. Therefore, historically, they're saying, "Ah, it's always been in the hands of the Muslims. That's really basically what they're saying. And so at some point, here's the crazy thing, that the Dome of the Rock, Al-Aqsqamaqs, on top of the Temple Mount, somewhere in there, it has to be destroyed. Somewhere in there, a temple, the temple has to be rebuilt. Now, many people propose it could be on a different location. It doesn't necessarily have to be right on the Temple Mount. Maybe it's near the city of David. Maybe it's near the Mount of Olives. Like they have different theories. The point is, at some point, there will be a third temple. So as Christians, as Gentiles, that seems weird, doesn't it? Like you're kind of like, well, we have Christ. Why do we need the temple? Because Prophecy says it's going to be there. And so it says, and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction uh, is poured out on the desolator. In other words, the Antichrist, if you go back to the beginning of 27, at some point he's going to actually, the abomination of desolation is he's going to come into the temple and say, I am God. That's what he's going to be actually saying. And it's the same thing that we just read in 2 Thessalonians 2. So, Kevin, if you go back to that, 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, don't let anybody deceive you. Uh, keep going, Kevin, if you don't mind. It says, he opposes it in verse 4 and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary. That's the temple. That's the third temple, publicizing that he himself is God. So, at the three and a half year period, okay, and the only reason that the seven year period has been instituted, just so everybody's on the same page, according to Daniel 9, is that the Antichrist, He's going to establish a peace deal with 10 countries and Israel. That's what's going to take place. You will see a peace agreement take place and say, hey, by the way, here is seven years. Whenever you hear seven years, you should be like, wow. And so all I'm saying is, is in this rapture, okay, at any given time, eventually you will see a leader, okay? Uh, he's going to make, let me just, I'll just make it simple, make a seven-year peace plan. And that leader is the Antichrist. Now, after three and a half years, the leader will break 
covenant. He'll break the covenant. He then actually, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, he'll actually move into Jerusalem, right? And he declares, yeah, he is God at the temple. So this is the progression that we have. So when the Apostle Paul is writing about this, I just want you to have this understanding and this depth that when you read 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, it's tying into uh, Daniel 9, 26 and 27. How crazy is it that all of this begins to, to fit in? Okay, so now, Kevin, if you would, if you go to Matthew 24, I wish I could read my notes, 24, 21. Let's see if that works. If not, it's 24 or 31. The Antichrist then what happens is begins to control the world and the forces, okay? Uh, all people to worship and obey him, okay? And in this process, at that time, God is actually going to send a great tribulation, okay, on the earth. So Matthew 24, 21 says, for at that time, there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. You will see for three and a half years tribulation like we've never seen before. Matthew 24, 22, just a bigger picture. Unless those days were limited, no one would survive, but those days would be limited because of the elect. So there will be survivors in this process. Now, okay, hopefully everybody's getting the bigger picture. So basically what you're going to see is tribulation, Tribulation will come. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I think you guys are seeing it's building. Everything's building. Everything's building. Okay. At this point, okay, according to Zechariah 12, or if you wanted to go to Revelation 13, Kevin, Revelation 13, 13 through 14, you're going to actually see nations gather at Armageddon. Nations are going to gather at Armageddon. And here's what the deal. They're going to fight. Okay. Uh, the Antichrist in Israel. So you're going to see the actual battle. Roman, uh, Revelation 13, 13 through 14 says he performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Verse 14, he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he's permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound and yet lived. And then finally, if you want to go to Revelation 19, 11 for me, Kevin. Revelation 19, 11, you'll see, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True and he judges and makes war in righteousness. You will see the battle. So let's just put the Valley of Armageddon. Rich, you've been to the Valley of Armageddon. Yeah, we, we just drove through there. Kind of surreal that you're going to see all of the nations come together. All of those are going to fight. And then it says, uh, really, in Revelation 19, 11, just as we reference this, Jesus is going to actually return to earth. He's going to defeat his enemies. He's going to be received by the Jews. You ready for that one? <laughs> He's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And then he will reign on earth, okay, for a thousand years. So I'm just going to put Jesus will return a thousand years. Okay, do you guys see, hopefully this progression makes sense for people in this process. The reason I wanted to do this is because when you see back in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, 
I really want you to see the bigger picture. So when he says in verse four, he actually opposes and exalts himself above any other God. And then he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. Like this is a big deal because this is in the middle of the actual tribulation. This is in the middle of everything taking place. So whether you like it that you're going to be here or whether you're not going to be here, it doesn't matter to me. This is the progression that you're going to see. Three and a half years, we're going to actually possibly, uh, I have no problem saying this. I actually believe, my hope is, is that we get to be a part of this process. I have no problem saying that. And the reason is, is because I want to see, Lord, how can you use us to help effectively share the gospel amidst all of this? Some people are wired for some of this stuff. I don't know. For some reason, I feel like we just kind of fit into this. And so I'm preparing. I don't know if we will or if we won't, but I think it's good to know. And what are the things that we need to look for? He says in verse five, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you about this? Remember Paul said, hey, look, we've already talked about this. So why do you actually believe that the day of the Lord has come when you haven't seen the Antichrist yet? Like he's reminding them you forgot revived school. And that's kind of what he's saying, right? I've already talked about this. Why have you fallen into this trap of this false teaching? And he says in verse six, and you know what currently restrains him, the Antichrist, so that he will be revealed in his time. In other words, guys, something's holding him back. In verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. Again, there's, a, there's this conversation. Like, is it the Holy Spirit holding him back? We don't really no, I will tell you this. Um, there is a real strong battle out there. I mean, how many times do you have to look at Satan versus God in everything? I mean, we've heard this, but, you know, uh, ever since Lucifer in Isaiah 14, ever since Lucifer rebelled against God, Wiersbe spells it out. He tried to capture God's throne, hence entered in the chaos of the fighting. Then you obviously have, you know, uh, Satan trying to tempt Eve at the garden, caused Adam to fall. Uh, Genesis 3.15, God declared war on Satan and his family. And this is what I love. In Genesis 3.15, he said he promised the coming of the Redeemer that would defeat Satan. There will be a time that you will experience defeat. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The battle will happen, but praise the Lord, because of the Redeemer, we know that we're going to win. Let me read 8 through 12, and then I'll come back to ways that you can describe the Antichrist. Uh, in verse 8, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed. Once the, once the restrainer has been removed, the lawless one will be revealed. Now, Kevin, you could do a Google, right? We're not going to have you read any names. You could do a Google that says, Hey, any current Antichrist people, <laughs> or who they think they are, right? There's all kinds of theories out there. The only one I'm concerned about is, is when, when there's a peace agreement with Israel and the Middle East and these European countries that you see peace for seven years. At that point, you should be like, ah, I'm ready. The Lord Jesus will destroy the Antichrist, look at this, with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. So this whole great Antichrist claims who he is, that he's God. Jesus is going to destroy him with one breath, the breath of his mouth. He's going to bring him to nothing. And I love this. He's going to bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. It's almost like just because of his return, the Antichrist is going to melt. That's how it feels based on that description. Verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. 
So because of Satan's working with all of the false things that are taking place, like you guys, there are false Christians out there today. There are very clearly false ministers. There's the false gospel. Uh, even in Revelation 2, 9, it says you should expect the synagogue of Satan. You should expect these false things that are out there, as Warren Wearsby says. Bottom line, Satan's a liar. So he's clearly preparing all of these false things in order for the Antichrist to come. In a weird way, the Antichrist is the minion for Satan. So because of these things, it says in verse 10, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not escape the love of the truth in order to be saved. It is true, the Jews, there will be Jews and there will be Gentiles that will be saved, but the majority, according to this, will be lost. Verse 11 and 12, for this reason... God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false. So that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. That sounds crazy. And that is really, really hard to swallow. All I can say is, is from my exposure in the world today, the lost have had an opportunity to trust Christ. God doesn't delight in judging the lost. You can read Ezekiel, you can read 2 Peter, but many are going to die. I think that's a hard process to swallow, but all of it's going to come to a head. And so what are ways, if we could go back, Kevin, we're going to go back to to describing the Antichrist in verse 3. Don't let anybody deceive you. Like, I want you to be aware of what this person could look like. I want you to be aware of what should we be looking for in this man of sin, man of lawlessness, this son of destruction. And so what you're going to see with Wearsby is, is first of all, the Antichrist, he is going to look very, very well like he is a peacemaker. The Antichrist is going to come in, look suave. He's going to look calm. He's going to actually be a political leader who unites 10 nations of Europe into this strong power block. I'm going to go to Revelation, Kevin, for me, 17, 12, and 13. You're going to see the Antichrist playing in this role. Revelation 17, 12 through 13. The 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast For one hour, verse 13, they have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast. So this peacemaker, to go back to verse 12, will combine, yes, it says, the ten horns, they're going to be the ten kings that are going to all be on the same page. They're going to actually submit their authority to the peacemaker. I just want us to be aware of things that we need to look out for. So Kevin, this peacemaker role, to go back, how long is the deal going to be for? Seven years. Seven years. We need to be watching. So whenever you hear about peace plans coming out, can I just say, be watching and be ready to see if any of this lines up with Scripture. We're not here to finger point at somebody. I just want us to be aware. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. He goes, you let somebody come in and fool you that said the day of the Lord's happened, but we haven't seen the Antichrist yet. So he said, why have you given in to this false teaching? Okay, another way uh, would be that he is viewed as a protector. Okay, Uh, the protector says, uh, this is where it gets kind of sticky. In Daniel 9, 24 through 27, this prophecy applies to Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple, not the church. I think that's important to understand. It's going to be a time of the arrival of the Messiah. 
basically this protector. Kevin, how would you see the Antichrist as a protector? What would you say? Well, he's going to look like making peace. I mean, he's protecting Israel. He's protecting everybody. That's right. So by fulfilling this prophecy of walking into this one week time period, it's like, oh, wow, he really did save Israel. He really did save Jerusalem. Everybody's trying to kill Israel. Everybody's trying to kill Jerusalem. If the Antichrist comes in, he's protecting him. Hey, this guy's legit. He's bringing in peace and he's actually bringing about protection. But now in Daniel 9, 27, now here's the flip end. He is not only a peacemaker and a protector, you guys, but he's a peace breaker. After three and a half years, in the middle of the week, he's going to put a stop to sacrifice and offering. So we need to be watching for these type of characteristics for the Antichrist. Peacemaker, protector, peacebreaker. So to me, when somebody says, oh, that's the Antichrist, this is your lens. Your filter has to be the word of God and, and nothing else. You're going to see the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is him standing inside the temple saying he is God. And he's going to break peace. Now, one other layer, you're going to see two other things that you're going to see, possibly, Warren Wiersbe says, to describe the Antichrist. Peacemaker, protector, peacebreaker is you're going to see him as the persecutor. Okay, after three and a half years, the covenant is broken. He will bring about persecution. The Matthew 24, 21 says tribulations will begin. And in Revelation 13, hang in here with me, okay? Citizens must bear the mark of the beast in order to buy and to sell things. Okay, so you will see the Antichrist implement these things. And if not, I promise you, persecution will come to those that are not willing to embrace the mark. So you will see persecution come to those that will not fall and cave into this. um, I don't know, legal calling or demand. And then finally, here's what's really cool is the Antichrist. He's a peacemaker, protector, peacebreaker, persecutor. Uh, You will see this. You will see him as my favorite one, the prisoner. If you go to Revelation 19, 11 through 21, uh, really, Kevin, just go to Revelation 20, verse 1. Christ is going to return and he's going to put the Antichrist, all of his associates, and Satan, and he's going to actually cast him into a pit. Uh, Revelation 20, Kevin. Uh, well, I mean, that would work too. The beast was taken prisoner along with him, the false prophet who had performed signs on his authority by which he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast, those who worshiped his image. Both of them were, look at this, thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So when you look out for the Antichrist, again, you have to understand something. There is so much detail that we could get into when we start integrating Daniel 9 and Revelation. I just want to tie this into 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians clearly says that uh, it says in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Kevin, if you want to go back there, don't let anybody deceive you. First of all, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy comes in and the man of sin revealed the son of destruction, the Antichrist enters into the picture. Once the Antichrist enters the picture, he will then clearly declare himself publicly as God on a temple because he's established peace. But we know that that peace won't last. He'll break the peace. He'll end up persecuting people and then eventually praise God because of Jesus and his faithful word, because he is the faithful Lord. He will then take the Antichrist, his associates and Satan, and he'll put him into the lake of fire. Now, 
That's a lot. And I feel like we're just kind of uh, doing a massive overview, but I think sometimes in order to get started, you have to have the big overview. And my prayer is, is that you begin to understand this process. Because here's what I would say. All of this, I'll say it over and over and over. All of this, regardless of the timing, folks, we got to get ready. Not in fear, but in faith. Bless you guys. Have a great day. And we will wrap up uh, Paul's epistle tomorrow, 2 Thessalonians 3. Thanks. Thanks.